Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome, everybody. This very exciting episode. Um, as you see, I've actually got no notebook today. I've just got this actual book. Oh, that's all the notes you need. It's all the notes I need. Um because I kind of want to do, well, a little bit of a deep dive on this book. Not, well, not really a deep dive, because we're not actually going to go through the whole book. Um, the story that's in this book is only in the first part. Okay. One part of three. Um, and it's potentially about sort of ESP, remote viewing, astral projection, that kind of thing. You know, but it's sort of clairvoyance. Well, not so much future predicting, but... Um, uh, the, the guy who wrote it is the man. Name is Ingo Swan. Kaka. <laughs> that was the worst Swan I've ever heard. <laughs> um, and he's generally sort of held to be the father of remote viewing. Okay. I and mean, he didn't necessarily invent it, but he was one of the sort of uh, mid twentieth century practitioners. And as we go through the book, you'll understand more um, about his role in remote viewing. Um, early on in the 70s, he, was, he, he enlisted to a, a, a government program, like a testing program. Uh, here we are, first chapter, involvement in Psy Research. Um, where he put himself forward for these tests where they would sit you in a room Mm -hmm. and then in the room next door they'd put items into a box. And he had to reach out with his mind and try and tell what the item was in the box. It's a bit of psychic ability. Yeah, a little bit of psychic, yeah. And that's why he calls it psi research. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think about that. (laughs) Yeah. but he's, he obviously wasn't the only person involved in these tests. I think they did quite a lot of people, and obviously some people were good at it, some people weren't. Mm-hmm. He happened to be one of the good ones, exceptionally good at it. Oh, okay, so fact, he is one of the best at this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or he was. He died in 2013. Oh, not that long ago. No, not too long ago, but he was like in his 80s or 90s by then anyway, because he, 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 he was 
it, it does say somewhere when he was born, but obviously, yeah. I mean, this title takes part in the 1970s, the mid-1970s. Mm. So he was quite an old guy. Um, but when he actually started as part of this program, this research program, he realised that it probably wasn't going to last that long. Most people who who entered into the program kind of got burnt out after a couple of months because it's just so repetitive. Another object in a box, tell us what it is. Yeah. Another object in a box, tell us what it is. You know, day in, day out, doing that. And he said it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a microchip mm-hmm. in a computer or in your phone or whatever. It's doing the same calculations all the time, day in, day out, you know, year after year. Yeah. yeah. It wears out and You've you have to replace it. Up. Yeah. Yeah, so he knew that this probably was going to be either boring to the point where he'd just lose interest and wasn't able to detect things psychically mm-hmm. anymore because uh, it just loses thread, or he'd have to do something to spice it up a bit. Okay. And so he said, um, and uh, I, I quote, he wanted to do something far out. Far out, man. Far out, man. This is the 70s, obviously, yeah. So um, he came up with the idea of seeing if he could remote view the planet Jupiter. <laughs> right, okay. Which is pretty far out. <laughs> yes, It's a long far. way. <laughs> no, well, his idea was, you see, that um, in 1973, the NASA missions Pioneer 10 and 11 mm-hmm. were sent to um, Jupiter as a flyby mission uh, to take pictures and take scientific readings and that sort of thing. And he thought to himself, well, what if I can get to Jupiter first and see what I can find out? Because in a few months, we'll get the data, the telemetry sent back, and I'll be able to confirm whether I'm right or not. Yeah, so things have actually reached as far as Jupiter before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had no idea. I thought Jupiter was too far for all of that. Oh, no, no, we've had we've got stuff going outside of the solar system these days. Voyager 1 and 2 are now outside of the heliosphere, outside of the grab of the sun. No way! Yeah, New Horizons is going to be heading that way soon as well. I mean, oh, that's, that's already, cool. already past Pluto, so... Oh, learn something new every day. But, yeah, I mean, so that's what he did. Just a, as, as a sort of a, a fun thing in the middle of all this monotonous see-what's-in-the-box, he decided to try and actually get to Jupiter. Just before, I don't want to ruin your flow. Go for it, Just before we get into the awesome stuff, can I just ask, was he actually quite successful at guessing what was in the box? Yes. So would it have been like anywhere between like 90% and 100% correct? No. No, it's it's not, it's never that um, precise. Uh, it, it, later on in the book, we, we will come to it. He he's uh, aiming for about a sixty-five percent hit rate. Okay, still so I mean, good. even at the moment, at this point, he's probably around about fifty-fifty, mm-hmm. right and wrong. Um, yeah. uh, one of the more sort of uh, the, one of the standard ways that people even learn to do this these days is to take like a postcard or a picture and put it in an envelope and then the person mm. with the psychic abilities tries to recreate the picture that's in the envelope you see and he he was quite good at that 
Yeah, it's still in that realm, isn't it? Yeah, sim- similar sort of realm. Um, but what they planned to do, he had a, a, a list of criteria that he wanted to confirm because that was what measurements the, the Pioneer craft were taking. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to prove the existence of a hydrogen mantle on Jupiter, which was confirmed in September 73 and again in 1975. Okay. Uh, Storms and wind confirmed in 1976 uh, as to dimensions and unexpected intensities. He didn't predict how intense the storms would be. And then he, he wrote something like a tornado. Jupiter's great red spot, mm-hmm. yeah, confirmed in 1976, a strong rotating cyclones. The red spot is one of them. Um, high infrared reading. Oh, I didn't know that about Jupiter. That was confirmed in 1974. Yeah, Jupiter is like, very uh, radioactive and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it, if Jupiter had got much bigger, it probably would have gone thermonuclear and turned into sort of a smaller second sun. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it can happen. Yeah, it's it's sort of just under the threshold for where that thermonuclear reaction takes place. If it had gathered much more mass, it probably would have Mm. become a binary star system. And Jupiter's the one with the really intense gravity that we'd we'd squish if we went Yeah, you'd be flattened by the weight of your own head if you went there. I love that imagery. (laughs) Uh, so he also, uh, I'm not entirely sure what this means, but temperature inversion, I'm not entirely sure what that means, whether that's in extreme hot or extreme cold, but that was confirmed again in 1975. Uh, the cloud color and configuration, which was confirmed in 1979. Uh, a dominant orange color to the atmosphere is what he predicted. That was, again, confirmed in 1979. Jupiter does have, like, an orangey tint to it. Yeah, very much. Yeah, oranges and whites are very much a part of Jupiter. But also some blue as well. Some of the clouds Mm. look blue when you see close-up footage. Uh, Water ice crystals in the atmosphere, confirmed in 1975. That's cool. Crystal bands that reflect radio probes, which was confirmed in 1975. And the last prediction was of magnetic and electromagnetic auroras, or rainbows, which was confirmed in 1975, and that is to do with its magnetosphere and the radiation coming in. Kind of like the aurora borealis here at the Northern Lights here on Earth. Oh, beautiful. Jupiter has that as well, um, and on a much bigger scale. Would it be the same colours and stuff? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, Sometimes, sometimes not. I think Jupiter's are sort of kind of a bluey green. Oh. So, although Earth's is kind of a little bit greener, but yeah, it's similar. Um, That's very cool. He predicted a planetary ring inside the atmosphere. A planetary ring inside the atmosphere, which I guess that's the outer atmosphere because Jupiter does have a very fine ring. It's very hard to see. What, like Saturn does? Yeah, but we didn't even know about that until we got the other side of Jupiter, it pointed the camera back, sort of aiming at the sun through Jupiter, seeing like the eclipse of Jupiter, and that's when we could see the ring. We didn't even know it was there until then. (laughs) That's super cool. Yeah. Um, 
A liquid composition confirmed in 1973 and 76 as hydrogen in liquid form. That's as you go f- deeper towards the core of Jupiter. And he predicted mountains and a solid core, which this book was written in 1998. It says still questionable, but suspected as of 1991. It's really not. There's no mountains on Jupiter. Jupiter's got a very strange topography that goes from just gas mm-hmm. to a weird super liquid and quite possibly got like a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, but I'm not entirely sure if it's right. No one really knows exactly what the core of Jupiter is, but it's thought that it might be a super liquid diamond core. <laughs> Could this planet get any cooler? <laughs> it's strange. It, it rains diamonds on Jupiter. Oh, man. Yeah, Saturn was always my favourite, and now I think you're making Jupiter my favourite. Jupiter is a cool planet, but yeah, because of the, I think it's the hydrogen and methane clouds, the intense pressure and the intensity of the lightning storms that they get on Jupiter, obviously, like billions of volts worth of electricity Mm. created compared to Earth, it just instantly condenses that hydrogen and helium into carbon crystals of diamonds, so it rains diamonds. And that, that's strange. Yeah, that's not something that he predicted, but that's just a, a little fact for you. So the mountain thing was pretty much the only thing he got wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the only thing he really got wrong. But we, we haven't been into Jupiter's atmosphere to see if there is something that could look, resemble a mountain that he might have oh, mistaken. Yeah, yeah. You know, it might have been deep clouds or mm. deep deeper clouds than what we can see from outside that he might have mistaken for mountains. Yeah, yeah. So it's still you know, a bit of a mystery. Yeah, that one, that one is a mystery. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of his predictions came out back confirmed mm. from the Pioneer uh, 10 and Pioneer 11 missions. And this is all through, um, like, astro projection? Astral oh. projection, yeah, remote viewing. He, Are they the same thing? Uh, I think there's slight differences, but generally ESP and remote viewing, astral projection and all that. I'm, I'm putting it all under one umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are probably people out there that would argue that astral projection is not the same as remote viewing or ESP and more mm. clairvoyance and all this sort of thing. But it's all related, and it's using yeah. your mind to see or travel somewhere um, that your body isn't going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? makes sense. And obviously, he, he was really good at this, and um, it's because of his success in these uh, tests, these simple tests, at the he calls it the SRI and I can't remember what the um what the place is called. Uh doesn't really matter. The um, SRI. The SRI, yeah. Science, Scientific Research Institute. <laughs> just quite, I know that's wrong, but I think it could be Stanford Research Institute or something like that. I can't, I can't actually remember. But I knew the I would be Institute, surely. <laughs> it's gotta be, yeah. But because he was so good at it, he he got quite a name for himself, and he, like he secured himself a job doing psychic research, just as his mainstream kind of thing. And he, he moved in some quite good. So he, got, he managed to get himself some friends in high places. Yeah, yeah, I imagine uh, through doing all this. And one evening, he was uh, he got received a telephone call, and he doesn't he doesn't say who it's from. All he says is a highly placed functionary in Washington, D.C. 
I'm guessing something to do with the White House. Mm, government But officials. he doesn't say any name. He doesn't say a, a position. Yeah, yeah. He just says that this guy was, you know, on a high shelf. And he he rings him up. And uh, he said, oh, can you do me a favour? And he's like, well, I'm all ears. What is it? <laughs> and the guy says, uh, a man's going to telephone you uh, in the not-too-distant future. His name is Mr. Axelrod. Uh, if you can manage to do so, would you try to do whatever he asks and ask no questions yourself? Oh, mysterious. A little bit mysterious. So he... Axelrod, though. Yeah, Axelrod. That's, good... that's the only name he's given as well. There's no first name, there's no last name. It's just Mr. Axelrod. That's a good stripper name. It is a good stripper <laughs> name, <yeah. laughs> um, So, obviously, he's he's like, well, who is this Mr. Axelrod? Yeah. And... There was a pause on the other end of the telephone, and whoever his contact was says, well, I can't actually tell you because I don't know myself. So he's but just said, do and say everything that this guy is... Yeah, just go... Just do, run with Do it. whatever this guy wants you to do. But okay. Obviously, it's going to be in his field anyway, This, you know, the psychic research kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a side other, mission. Yeah, otherwise he wouldn't be having a telephone. He said, but it's important, very important and very urgent that you agree to do what he asks. I can tell, tell you nothing more, so please do not ask. Just do what he wants, and whether you do or do not, we will never refer to this conversation again. I must ask you in friendship never to refer to me about this in any way. Mm. And then Ingo Swan says, after which my friend expressed a quick passing interest in how I was doing and then virtually hung up on me. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think it was actually several weeks before he actually got a call from this mysterious Mr. Axelrod. Mm. But that is what we're going to be covering today is pretty much just the axle rod. I mean, this is very mysterious. Mm -hmm. I'm actually intrigued. And we haven't even got to the nitty-gritty of it yet. So axle rod, eventually, several weeks later, rings him up, identifies himself. Um, Mr. Axelrod. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Can you just call him Axel? Because if you keep saying Axel, Axelrod, Axel. I'm going to have to okay, I'm Axel, stop yeah. myself from laughing. <laughs> so he said... Can you get to Washington by noon today? I realise this is short notice, but we would be very appreciative if you can. We will reimburse you for your time and your expenses. He's like, well, he lives in New York, so oh, yeah, what Washington? Uh, you know, it's a yeah, it's a distance, but it's it's a it's it's a short flight. Yeah, you know, so uh, that's what he plans to do: get on a, a like a shuttle uh, style plane. Um, he says, yeah, I can do. So good, Axel says, but we cannot meet you at the airport. Are you familiar with the Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian? Yeah, 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 he says. Good, as soon as you arrive, go there and stand near the elephant in the central rotunda. Be there at noon. You will be contacted. Just do exactly as your contact asks. My only requirement is that you tell no one where you are going. If you feel you can't do that, please say so now and we'll forget about the whole thing. Is that okay? He asked. Yeah, I suppose so. He said he couldn't resist one question, though. This one seemed logical. How will I recognise who's supposed to contact me? Don't worry, we know what you look like, said Axel. And then just hung up. And that's it. <laughs> so, Ingo gets out of bed, because I think it's just like three o'clock in the morning this this phone call comes through. 
So he, he gets out of bed, makes himself a coffee, smokes a couple of cigars, books himself a flight. Off he goes to Washington. Gets to the, uh, the Natural History Museum. Finds the elephant. Yeah, well, he's he's a bit early, to be honest. Oh. Um, so he just kind of gets a coffee and wanders around for a little while. He, he goes to, above, I think, to a balcony above the rotunda and looks down just to sort of scope the place out, make sure he isn't being followed or anything like that. And then at noon, he heads for the elephant. I don't know if that's even still there. This was obviously the 70s. Mm. Uh, yeah, it might, yeah. might still be a feature. And he stands in front of the elephant, just sort of nonchalantly having a look at the exhibit, you know, because there's nothing else to do. And then behind him, he hears a voice, Mr. Swan. And he turns, and he sees a very smartly dressed young man, clean shaven, you know, piercing green eyes, he says. Mm. Um, but in the, the, the guy doesn't speak to him. Apart from saying Mr. Swan, he then hands him a card which reads, please do not speak or ask any questions. This is for our safety as well as yours. Um, And Ingo Swan, obviously, uh, he has to be identified. So the the guy holds up a picture to his face and he's like, yeah, yeah. And then he holds out his hand as if he's going to shake hands with him. But rather than shake hands, he turns it over and then checks his tattoo against another picture and he's like yeah okay and checks it off on a little list and then he uh, gestures to another man that stood just a little way away surveying the scene who looks almost identical to him Ingo Swan even calls them twins because they look that much alike and then they switch places and the whole thing goes again he checks his identity checks his tattoo they check it off in a little book and then they hand him a card saying follow us there's a car outside this is sounding very Men in Black. Yeah. So they go go out, get into the car, um, and he's, they're driving, and Ingo Swan's like, oh, we're heading in the direction of the CIA headquarters, that's probably where we're going. No, they sail straight past that. Straight past it. And at which point the one of the twins, I don't, it might even be done by a card, another card, where they just present him with a card that says we have to do a body search, we have to search you for bugs and stuff like that. And they do quite a thorough search, even looking down his shorts and whatnot. Did they check the anus? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he's not allowed to, to speak or anything uh, yeah. in the, through the entire... And eventually, when they start getting towards the edge of town, they put a hood over his head so they can't, he can't see where he's going. Oh, man, I'm so intrigued by this. This is right. awesome. And uh, he's, he's led out of the car... And he, he obviously identifies it as a helicopter that he's sat into because obviously you can hear the rotors going and whatnot. Uh, half hour, an hour flight, he says, and then they touch down and then he's guided out of the helicopter in, into a building of some description. You can't see it, obviously, because he's got a hood over his face. Mm. Uh, and they go down an elevator and he says it's quite a long way, quite a long ride in the elevator down. Um <laughs> Elevator doors open, and he's led into this room, and he's sat down, and then the hood comes off, and he's presented with Axelrod. <laughs> he's back. Uh, yeah. Axelrod. So this is where we're at. Axelrod. 
So the voice, I'm not sure if this is, uh, oh yeah, yeah, this is the hood removed. He says, eyes watering a little, I found myself in a dimly lit room. The twins were nowhere, to, were nowhere to be seen. The voice said, I am Axelrod, which is not my real name, of course, as you must have figured out. Oh no, really? <laughs> he continued, I can answer no questions as to where you are or what we represent, but beyond that, I'm at your complete disposal with regard to anything that pertains to the task ahead. So Ian Go goes, well, what, what's the task? What is that? Axelrod smiles. First, there are some procedural matters. We will reimburse you for your expenses and provide what we will call an honorarium. Would $1,000 a day be suitable? We can provide this in cash before you leave. Ingo's like, a grand a day? Uh, Christ, yeah. That's probably, this is 1975. That's probably six months worth of money for him in yeah. one day, you know? He's rich. He can't believe it. And so he's like... How many days? <laughs> and he, uh, Axelrod says, uh, well, we, we have heard you work best in the morning, and as it's now the afternoon, we'll bing, begin the task tomorrow morning at any time which suits you. After that, we'll wing it a little. He goes, like, a thousand bucks a day, and I'm already getting paid a thousand. I haven't even done anything yet. Scrooge McDuck. Like. <laughs> um, If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. And, and, and so he, he, he scrambles to say something. He says, so if you know about the, no, more, the morning thing... Then you must be very familiar with our procedures at Stanford Research Institute. It was Stanford. Hey, you're right. <laughs> um, and Axel says, We know a great deal about you, Mr. Swan. You seem to be an exceptional man, and of course, it is your psychic gifts we want to try to employ with regard to this task. Um, my psychic gifts, as you must know, are very undependable. I work only in experimental situations and I hardly think anyone should risk anything really serious on them. So he's even saying, you know, 50-50, whether he's going to get it right. Yeah, yeah. But Axel says, we understand fully, Mr. Swan. We do not see the task as as a risk, so don't feel stressed about that. 
The second preliminary, we would like you to ask you never to reveal any of the details about this, including your presence here. If the circumstances were otherwise, we would ask you to sign a secrecy agreement. But, bluntly speaking, we exist without leaving a paper trail regarding our mission. So I can't do that. He paused, let that sink in, and then he says, Yet, without such an official secrecy oath, you will not be legally bound to secrecy. So what we would hope then is that you will agree not to reveal the sequence of events for at least 10 years hence. Okay. I can assure you there are very good reasons for this, but after the 10 years, our mission will have disappeared, as it were. They'll be able to bury it. Right. So no paper trail, no nothing so to prove that it ever happened. Keep quiet for 10 years at least. Yeah. And then... Everything will come out or disappear anyway, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Okay. Now, as you're going to find out fairly soon, he does keep quiet for 10 years because he doesn't think anyone's going to believe him anyway about what happened to him. Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so anyway, he says, uh, I can assure you there are very good reasons for this, but after 10 years, I'm sure it disappeared. If you cannot see your way to way clear to making and upholding this agreement we will give you a good dinner discuss remote viewing and get you back to new york by late tonight i mean they seem nice yeah it seems reasonable it's not like he's been kidnapped kidnapped you know obviously they had procedures to go through and you know and whatnot but i mean so um he says uh, ingo says i guess you knew i'd accept or i wouldn't be here now would i and axel says good very good then uh, we have specific procedures here. We will work in this room, if that's suitable. There's an adjoining room with a bed, and it's comfortable. It has TV you can watch. You'll only see myself and the two who brought you here. Never mentions any names for those two. Just they're, what, the twins? Yeah, the twins. That's all they're ever known as in the book. Uh, they will be your constant companions when you are not with me. One will spend the nights in his in this room, and the other will be stationed directly outside the door. They do not know why you are here, and they do not need to know. If you need exercise, we have a small gym. We have shorts and gear and a pool if you want to swim. If you have any kind of special food preferences, we can supply them. Just ask what you want. You smoke Tipperillo cigars. We have some for you, as well as some better ones if you want them. Can you work under these circumstances? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's there for the long haul. Uh, well, potentially, yeah, he could mm. be, depending on how well he does at this. Okay. Uh, so he says, uh, I guess that depends on the work or the task or whatever it is. I, I, I know I'm not supposed to ask anything, but are those two guys really twins? Axelrod smiles and says, what do you think? And he says, I think they are. He says, well, that's resolved then, isn't it? You don't really need an answer. Did you enjoy the geological specimens at the museum this morning? And blah, blah. It just goes on with a bit of um, small talk, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of that for a little while. But he still doesn't know the task or the mission yet. No, not yet. But he's kind of maybe pieced together that it has to do with, like, remote viewing. Yeah. Well, Axelrod starts out, I'm not going to go through the entire conversation and, yeah, yeah. and that, but he starts asking about his work and what he's done in the past and that. And um, Ingo says that he's... Uh, he, He's quite good at using, like, coordinates, you know, like so many degrees north, so many degrees east, 
to define places on the oh, planet. Oh, Axel is or no, Ingo is. Ingo is. Ingo is. Ingo is. And he can remote view. You give him a set of coordinates and he can remote view to that place and tell you what's there. Mm, um, okay, that makes sense. And there is a bit of, like, explaining how how they came to be able to do that and stuff. Like, um, um, So, anyway, Axel asks him, uh, but you went to the planet Jupiter. How did you use coordinates to do so? Or did you use coordinates to do so? And Ingo says, well, yes and no. The Jupiter thing came about as a sort of a, a lark, really. Again, as the American Society for Psychological Research in New York, uh, SRI, I got bored with the hundreds and hundreds of experiments. NASA was sending the Pioneer flypast to Jupiter, and I thought it would be a break from the, the monotony our SRI work to try trying to get to Jupiter for the flyby. It was a good experimental idea. You could register my impressions of the planet, circulate them to interested people, and do it in advance of the data that the fly, the, 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 they sent back. Um, as kind of coordinates, we find out where Jupiter was in relation to which part of the zodiac where Earth was in respect to the Sun, and with these three factors, the placement of Earth, Sun, and Jupiter acted as kind of a triangulation, so I could find figure out where I was going to get to Jupiter. Smart. Yeah, and Axel agrees. He says, yeah, you did pretty good. So he says, Axel, I don't like to ask... Don't like to do tasks unless there's a good chance of obtaining feedback. He, you know, he wants to know if he's right or not. And you represent one of those times I've been dragged into a situation where I'm obviously not going to get any, am I? And Axel says, well, that poses a bit of a problem considering our situation here. But surprisingly, some feedback will become available in other ways. I will send it to you in a stamped but unmarked envelope when it's ready. Remember that. Okay. Stamped, unmarked envelope. So he says, okay, so what is this task then? And after a long moment, Axel asked, Ingo, what do you know about the moon? Mm. So Ingo's like, the moon? He wants me to go to the moon? Bloody hell. Not tried that one before. So he's like, well, I know it's there. That it's a dead satellite. It has craters and mountains, if that's what you mean. And Axel says, have you studied the moon or gone psychically to it? He says, no, we never tried the moon because too much is known about it. I wouldn't constitute a good experiment because of that. People would think I've learned about the moon or looked at it through telescopes or something and assume that I'm just remembering that rather than actually... Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Because, yeah, in his research and his, he's always trying to prove that he can kind of see the impossible, if you know what I mean. Yeah, before it's kind of yeah, proven. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and so Axel says, what about the reverse side of the moon? That side's always turned away from the Earth. No one could accuse you of being able to visually see that. Um, and Ingo says, yeah, but still, NASA's moon missions have encircled, it's orbited the moon, and we have pictures of the other side and that sort of stuff. And Axel laughs and he says, well, we want you to go to the moon for us and describe what you see. I have some moon coordinates prepared, about 10 altogether. Is that too many? He says, well, no, depending on the stress factors, but I don't like to do too many at once because I fear I'll begin to superimpose my impressions from like the last session onto this session. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense that you want to do like one at a time. And yeah, and yeah. have a little break in between, so you know, getting a fresh image every yeah. time. What's you the rush? Go. He's got a gym. He's got exactly. cigars. Exactly. Yeah, and he's getting a grand a day, so he wants to stretch it out <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh, we'd get that overtime, Swan. Exactly. Uh, and Axel says, "Well, we might not have to do all of them." Um, have you ever heard, or do you know who George Leonard is? Ever heard of him? He's like, no. Are you quite sure? Well, I've met hundreds of people by now, and I don't recall any George Leonard. There's a Leonard at SRI, but I can't remember names very well. Anyway, faces I remember better. So Axel immediately gets in a folder, and he pulls out a few pictures, puts them on the table. He says, any of these guys familiar? And Ingo looks at the pictures, and he says, well, one is Dr. Osis, and this other one works out at SRI, but I don't know his name. I've never seen the other three. Uh, I'm guessing one of these is your Mr. Leonard. Axel doesn't answer him whether it is or not. He just says, well, good then. We seem to be in a good shape. Now, how about I work in the gym and I'll join you for dinner. We can start early in the morning. So that's what they do. He goes off to the gym, like with the twins. Uh, and the twin? I imagine the twins are like two kind of like little bodyguards. I imagine them kind of like the men in black. You yeah. Know? Like they, they're not sort of faceless, but they look so much alike, just so you can't tell one from the other. And he he says in this in this um, this chapter that as he's sort of working out with them and spending a bit more time, he notices that. They've got small difference, subtle differences when they, when they, the rare occasion they do talk. One of them's a little bit southern, mm-hmm. and the other one sounds more Australian, mate. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, and he says he, he, he does note that one is slightly more well endowed when they're in their speedos <laughs> than the other one. Um, <laughs> I mean, you need those details. Mm. <laughs> You've got to remember that wang. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, they have dinner and, and whatnot, and he gets good sleep. And the next morning, they they decide to actually have a start at remote viewing the moon. And he says, right, I've got to figure out how to get to the moon. Obviously, I can't see outside or anything like that, mm-hmm. so you've got to describe where the moon is to me. So Axel says, well, the moon is full, opposite to the sun, and the moon is just setting in the west. Will that do? Ingo says, well, I hope so. Earth is between the sun and moon. Then what I have to try and do is head directly away from the sun and hope for a psychic touchdown on the moon's surface. Axel just says, okay, do your thing. And he pushes record on a tape recorder. I'm thinking that's audio only, not like a video recorder. Um, so, yeah, he... He uh, Ingo then says, uh, I talk out loud when I'm doing my thing, asking myself a series of questions, but these are questions to aid my intellect in trying to understand what I'm experiencing. These are not questions others need to respond to while I'm at work. I do not like to close my eyes when I'm doing my thing. So he expresses that. Wow, down. I would have expected him to have his eyes closed for that. Yeah, you'd have thought he'd go into some kind of trance mm. or something like that, but no, apparently he's quite happy he can just he can still sort of interact. He's not really looking at you. He's miles away, but he he almost because he can do sketches and stuff like that and write things down while he's experiencing this, mm. uh, which is what he does. Uh, so yeah, he goes to the moon. 
So I had no problem getting there. Slowly at first, it grew larger and larger and then swiftly filled my psychic vision completely. A whitish thing with greys, darks, and surprisingly, a lot of yellows. Suddenly, I was kind of sucked in towards it, faster as if in gravity freefall. Next, I had the sensation of being next to some pumice-like rocks. Okay, he whispers to Axel. I can see these rocks and some dust, so I guess I must be here. Give me your first moon coordinate, preceding it with the word moon. So he writes down moon and the coordinates. Nothing happened. He was still where he touched down. Give it to me again, he said, more slowly. So Axel repeats the coordinates. And then he realises that he's he, he experiences this kind of blurred vision that he's zooming across this moon landscape, uh, and then he's into darkness. Okay, so it yeah. kind of surprised him. He said, it's dark here. Why is that? It was a rhetorical question. Uh, Axel, please do not... Uh, rhetorical question. Axel, please do not speak an answer. Darkness. Then, slowly, as if adjusting to a kind of night vision, I could begin to perceive formations. I realised what had happened. This coordinate. Is it on the dark side of the moon? Yes, it must be. Begins trying to make a sense of the impressions. These go well. I seem to be near a cliff or of some kind. It goes upward quite high. Made some kind of dark rock. There's like a whitish sand, a fluffy kind of sand. Away from the cliff formation, there's a broad expanse of some kind, and there are some patterns in the sand. Uh, whatever it is, it's not quite like sand. Axel comes in. What do the patterns look like? He was not supposed to introduce to in, intrude with questions, but he, he had, so he, he, Ingo goes with it. Well, he closes his eyes. Sort of like little tufts or dunes, as if the wind has made a kind of pattern. But then... He considers what he's just said, but and he says, but there's not supposed to be any wind on the moon, is there? No atmosphere? Yeah, I can sense something like atmosphere. I'm getting a little confused. Let's take a break. So um, it says here, I was, was I mistaken? Axel Rod seemed to be looking at me in a rather strange way as if swallowing his desire to speak. Well, I went on, what they actually look like are rows of largest tractor tread marks. But I don't understand how this could be, so they must they must be something I don't understand. They're just marks of some kind. They're strange, though. Um, he says, Axel, do you want... Well, well, am I supposed to try to see metals or something here, or what? I'm just near this cliff here, and it's kind of a shiny metal quality to it, something like obsidian. Axel answered, no, we can go to the next coordinate now. Uh, and uh, Ingo is like, okay, give me a moment, and then uh, on my signal, lay it on me. So he writes down the next coordinate, um, and the cliff vision fades, and in a few moments, he says, I was clearly at another place, which I could hardly believe was on the moon. He says, I'm sorry, Axel, I seem to have gotten back to Earth here. Axel says, why do you think that? He says, well, there are some maybe we better take a break, a little coffee, and we can try again. Axel's like, okay, but what did you see? He said, I know, I've know, got no idea, but whatever it was, it couldn't be on the moon. He sat there thinking, oh, I'm going to lose my grand a day here. Because mm. what, what he's, the impressions he's getting is obviously not something that he's expecting to be there. So they get, have another go at it. He says, give me the coordinates again. So he, he travels there, 
And he says, well, I'm in a place which is sort of down, like in a crater, I suppose, but there's this strange green haze, like a light of some kind. Beyond that, all around is dark, though. I'm wondering where the light has come from. Axel goes, yeah, what else? He says, well, you won't like this, I guess. I see, or I, I, I can see, or at least I think I see, well, some actual lights. They're giving off a green light. I see two rows of them. Yeah, sort of like lights of a, in, at football arenas, high up, banks of them, up on towers of some kind. Well, Axel, I can't be on the moon, I guess. I have to apologise. I, I, I keep getting back somewhere here on Earth. I must be. Axel stared at me for a moment. He was not smiling or looking sympathetic or tolerant. I thought it was all over. Are you sure you see lights? Actual lights? He finally asked. Well, I see lights, but how can they be on the moon? Hmm. That's interesting. Lights, huh? Are you sure you saw lights? Well, yeah, but not on the moon, surely. How could they be on the moon? Axel stared at me, saying nothing. I can be quite dense, I suppose, but something started twanging around in the denseness. I blinked at Axel. You mean... Am I to think these lights are actually on the moon? Have the Russians built a moon base or something? Is that what I'm supposed to be remote viewing? Are you trying to get me to spy on that? Uh, they sat and stared at each other for a longish period. Neither one of, uh, Axel didn't want to commit to, to any... Didn't want to offer him any suggestion about mm. it. Um, so I decided to give it another go. He said, maybe you should give me the coordinate again. So once back in the glow of the greenish lights, I now seem to have the courage to really begin looking around. And he says, well, the light seems diffused somehow, as if there's a lot of fog. No, no, no not fog, dust, dust. It's floating in the, in, in the, the air. Uh, but hang on, yeah, yeah, there is no air on the moon, is there? There's, there's a noise of some kind, like a thumping. I can see one of the light towers better now. They seem to be built of some very narrow struts of some kind, like thin pencils, um, like some kind of prefab stuff, right out of a Buckminster Fuller stuff. I don't know what that is, that's American. Axel says, how high are the light towers? Well, high enough, I have to find something against which to compare them. Let's see, hey, uh, there are some of those tractor tread marks everywhere. I guess these are about a foot wide. Well, then let's see if I compute it as correctly as I can. Axel's, yeah. Well, they're tall, uh, about, well, let's say over 100 feet. But uh, Axel says, but what? Well, I, th I think I got a glimpse of the, on the crater's edge. And on it, I think I saw a very large tower, very high, that is. Yes? Yeah, big, really big. How big? Well, if I compare it to something I'm familiar with in New York, about as high as a secret secretariat building at the New York United Nations which has 39 floors in it mm, that's a tall skyscraper that is Axel narrowed his lips you can see that then yeah yeah but this as I took it as a question Axel was asking himself more than me again the silence I decided again to assume whatever initiative I could Am I then to assume this stuff is on the moon? And if so, this is more than a moon base, isn't it, Axel? Again, no answer. 
So he continued, but this stuff is big. Does NASA or the Soviet space program have capabilities of getting stuff like stuff this size to the moon? I thought everyone was having trouble just getting a couple of guys and a dog into orbit. I thought the only thing we got on the moon was a flag planted in some crater somewhere. I'm actually, you know, it, and then the penny kind of drops. He says, as I talked myself through all this, certain glimmer began to dawn in the recesses of my mental darkness. I suddenly stopped speaking. I stared incredulously at Axel. You mean, am I supposed to assume that this stuff is not ours? Not made on Earth? Axel raised his eyebrows, trying to grin. Quite a surprise, isn't it? Hmm. Well, that's mysterious. Um... I take it you would like a break before we continue, Axel Ventured. And yes, they 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 have a bit of a a, a break. Uh, how far are we? Forty four minutes in already. This is calling for a part two, Pirate. It, it is. I think we are going to have to address a part two. We might make this one a little bit longer because I, I just want to go through some other things, right? Because obviously, the, the test, the experiments, it, it carries on in a similar sort of vein. So he's going through these um, coordinates and saying what he's saying. Yeah. Until he... Uh, the next chapter is called Humanoids on the Moon, just to give you a, a hint as to what's going to happen. So, yeah, again, Axel gives him a set of coordinates. And Ingo travels... I'm not going to read any of the um, the dialogue or anything for this part, but Ingo goes to the coordinates and he says it's... It's similar. There's green light, green haze, mm-hmm. um, but there's people mining. All men look like humanoid men, and he says he can tell that they're men because they're all butt naked. None, none of them need breathing apparatus or anything. Wow. So I, I guess maybe they've set up some kind of atmospheric, you know, membrane or something to hold an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. There. Because they don't need breathing apparatus, they don't need clothes, and they're doing mining jobs. Uh, and then Ingo says that a couple of them start looking at where he is, at where he's standing, gesturing at that area excitedly, as though they can tell he's there. Mm. And Axel tells him, "Get out of there, leave, get back now." Yeah. Um. So he does, and I think that is where they end the moon missions. Oh, so that this, was... Yeah, this, this is the first part of it. After that, after he actually got detected by these people on the moon, who Axel obviously knows about, yeah. obviously knows about the structures, he knows about the people that are there and whatnot, tells him to get the hell out of there. Ingo realised that they didn't actually see him, but they're telepathic in the same way that he is, and they probably sensed his aura or whatever it is that he's mm. sending there. They've sensed it and realised that they are being watched, although we don't think that they know who by or where from. Yeah, it's almost like interdimensional yeah. kind of feeling vibes. But I think we're going to have to end it there. This is not the end of the Axelrod saga. There's yeah. a couple more things that happen between him and Ingo that I want to conclude with. 
Yeah. Um, okay. In fact, fair. there's, there's an, another thing that I want to end on, but I think I'll because we're making this two-parter, yeah. I would bring that in at the end of the next part. Yeah, yeah. Because this is part of a much bigger uh, conspiracy sort of theory type thing. Okay. I, I want to go into, but we won't mention that today. We'll leave the paranormality rate. You can give it a little paranormality rating if you well, want. I'd like to just sum up from what you've uh-huh. said. So I'm still with it, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. uh, Ingo Swan, he can, uh, you know, remote view. Remote view. I keep getting remote view on Astro Project. Confused. Same thing. He goes, it gets taken by these people. He, go, he goes willingly with these people. Yeah. They give him this mission. They give him these different coordinates to go onto the moon. On the moon, yeah. He touches down. Swan Brady gets all these things and visions and tells Axelrod all these things that he's seeing. Yeah, he's seeing structures, lights, buildings that are as big as a skyscraper. And now he's seen people. people mining butt naked. Butt naked on the moon. On the moon. No breathing apparatus. And and they know he's there. Axelrod's act, acting all mysterious. Yeah, Axel he, already, he, won't, he won't let anything on. He already knows about some of this stuff. Yeah, he already not. knows. Okay, um, cool. So at that that is the end. I'm not sure how many days that actually took in real in his life, but we can assume maybe two or three days. So he's made himself mm-hmm. a couple of three thousand dollars. Yeah, and Axelrod wishes him well. Yeah, says we will be in contact if we need you any further assistance or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is it. End yeah. of. And Hood goes back on. Same procedure going back home, you know, blindly in a helicopter, and yeah. and they just drop him off. I think they drop him in Washington again, uh, and he catches another shuttle back to New York. But that's the end of uh, part one of the, Axe, the Axelrod saga in Ingo Swan's book, Penetration. Can- <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. He's looking at Wangs in Speedos. He's seeing naked men on the moon and how his book's called Penetration. Yeah. Well, well you can buy this book from uh, Amazon. Uh, I, I did. Uh, you, you can actually also find it as a PDF online. So you can just steal it if you want to be a bit of a thieving bastard. <laughs> or you can go and buy it like I did. Um, yeah. I do recommend it. It is a good read. If you like your sort of aliens and moons and, and conspiracy theories and that sort of mm. thing. And we got a lot of more exciting stuff. To oh, come. I look forward to part two, mate. So that's what that's what we're going to be covering next week is the end of the axle rod. And then it may even transition into something that we could possibly do like a, a series going on in the future mm-hmm. from this, from what happens through this book and leads on to other things yeah, that I think yeah. we could not I'm not going to keep it going like episode after episode but we could revisit it in the future mm-hmm. and I think that could be interesting but uh, so for now you've you've tickled our teats again yeah and now next week we have to get milked and find out yeah I like it well done mate I'm, I'm intrigued I look forward to next week next week next week it is until then I have been pirate I'm Josh this has been paranormality UK Ta-ta. Ta-ta. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.